This is the Property Solopreneur Podcast, and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes, and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Welcome to this edition, and we're going to be talking today about what is a property solopreneur? Well, it may not be obvious to everybody because most people don't think of themselves as that. But actually, anyone who works in property and doesn't have you know, bricks and mortar and lots of staff working for them is a solopreneur and a property solopreneur at that. And I think it's a really, really useful phrase. I think it's much better than saying you're a property investor because there are many people who work in property for themselves who don't own property. So how can you be a property investor if you don't own it? And it's quite tricky if you are asked, you know, at a property meeting, what are you? Or you stand up and have to say, hello, my name is X and this is what I am. And you come out with, I'm a property investor. It sounds so weak. Whereas I'm a property solopreneur. It's quite a powerful sounding moniker, isn't it? Well, I think it's the majority of us. And some of us dabble and other of us make serious amounts of money. So it's not, again, a term that can be buttonholed into either being low paid or highly paid. It's a very universal title, which is lovely. I really like that kind of thing. What it really means is that you are in total control of what you are doing and you don't have full-time members of staff. That's it in a nutshell. But there's so much more to it, isn't it? Because actually, there's quite a lot of mindset and stuff behind it. Because most of us are working on our own, but we actually own limited companies. And somehow it does seem a little strange, particularly for those of us who've been brought up, come up through the ranks of corporate and things, to understand a company is not having bricks and mortar and sort of stuff that we know to be office We just have to get over ourselves, really, and get used to it. Why did I become one? Well, I moved 18 times in 23 years, so therefore I couldn't put down roots and I couldn't have an office. And I started when the internet was not really a thing. So I literally had a cardboard box with files in it and I used to keep it in the back of my boot. And it, where I went, it went. I was at, my office was like me being a snail. It went everywhere with me. And actually, I never really felt at the beginning the need for a publicly accessible office because, as I say, I was working out of my cardboard box. But then when I got to work in Stoke and I met lots of people who were working in offices because I was now going into the you know, engineers and the, and the letting companies and everything like this on a daily basis, I was going into everybody else's offices, but I had nowhere really to go for myself. And that's when doubts began to creep in. But what did I achieve? Well, I, you know, built two portfolios from scratch and I'm modernising a third one now, but I had a sourcing business with no office. I had a lettings company with no office because for some mad reason, I decided to set up my own lettings company so that I could manage my own buildings. Well, I'm actually not good with tenants, so that didn't really work from that point of view. I learned an awful lot about 
lettings companies per se and all the legislation and how they work and what needs to be done and how to watch out for a good one or a bad one. But the biggest thing I learned was that I didn't like doing it. To do it effectively, you needed an office. And as I say, didn't do offices. So being a solopreneur means that you have to make choices and you have to understand why you've made that choice so that you feel totally comfortable with it. And the biggest problem I had to come over was why I was going to work as a solopreneur, because the temptation is to try and find somebody to work for you if you've got the really good setup. And I suddenly discovered, actually, that this was a problem all in my mind. And I just needed to get over it and think about it properly and move on. And once I got to Stoke, I was given a free office at a friend of mine's building. And I realised that there was another really good reason as to why I really shouldn't be let loose in an office on my own. And that's because I am very creative and give me a whiteboard and a pinboard and I will spend ages making it look really pretty and attractive. I could get to the end of the day having created an amazing pinboard, but that hasn't brought me in any more money and it hasn't moved the company forward. So that wasn't necessary. So once I'd realised that, I thought I sat down and I thought to myself, well, how do I look from the other side? I, I'm trying to come over, because it's the first time I'd really worked for myself, I'm trying to come over as professional. What do other people need me to be to be professional in their eyes, considering actually we're talking about quite large sums of money when we're doing property? And I realised that the people who were going to be mostly interacting with this were the people who were going to be buying my deals or my investment, you know, buying investment property off me. Well, why would they be coming to my office? They don't need to see the inside of my office. What they needed was what I gave them, which was an agenda. And we would, they would arrive by train or, or I'd meet them wherever they'd parked. And we would do a tour of the buildings that I had open. And we would go through a couple of the deal sheets when we're standing outside buildings that were tenanted. And then we would always, always go to either Captain Cook's for lunch, which was the most amazing fish and chip shop, or we would go to the Emma Bridgewater factory shop because it had a lovely cafe for afternoon tea. And why wouldn't you? Because it had great coffee, great cake, but above all, it buzzed. And I was able to, in an instant, without having to explain, show people who were coming up to buy potential houses in Stoke the kind of place it was, the fact that it had these amazing factories, the fact that you know, the workers were clearly full-time, earning great money, so they were going to be, have a pool of renters who could pay their rent. All the things that I didn't need to explain, I could show. So why take somebody to an office? So I realised that wasn't a stumbling block. And also, of course, those who were funding me, and I did have lots of funders, I went to meet them at their office or their home miles away from where I was. And they weren't interested anyway in what, you know, whether or not I had an office. They were just interested in what I could do for them and what the money was like. You know, was I a safe investment? So, you know, that was the biggest block to my idea of being a solopreneur. And I've subsequently discovered when I've talked to lots of other people that they too feel slightly being a fraud because they own a company. But there isn't really any substance behind it. Well, if it's trading and it's doing well, it doesn't matter whether it's your back room or whether it's the back of your car, or if it is, you know, bricks and mortar somewhere with your name on it. Do you know, it doesn't matter. You're still a solopreneur. And the other thing about being a solopreneur is you don't have any staff. 
But actually, again, that is not absolutely true. And that is because you don't have staff sitting in your office coming in at nine and going at five, but you definitely need staff to do all those things that make your company work. Now, that's very true because A, you don't have the time, but secondly, you probably don't have the skill. You can't be amazing in every skill set. We have to own up to this fact. You've just got to be good as a CEO and know what to delegate and what to ask for and be able to do the property bits. That's all that's required. So you can outsource the rest to consultants or VAs or any of those sorts of people. And the other great thing about it is that then means you've got no churn, you've got no payroll, you've got no fixed costs. You're getting to like it even more now. No fixed costs. That was the biggie for me because I realised that if I had no fixed costs, it meant that if I had a bad month, it was just a bad month. I didn't have to find extra money to meet the payroll. And a couple of my friends had built really big and are still great companies. But I was looking at the amount of money they were paying just in salaries not thinking about, you know, the national insurance and the tax and all that kind of thing. I'm thinking, oh, golly gosh, I don't want to have to get up on the first of every month and find that before I even start to pay myself. So I knew that I was straight away going to be a solopreneur. Because actually, you know, there's always at some point, you know, I think it moves, doesn't it? But somewhere around between April and May, one of the newspapers will suddenly go, hello, today's Freedom Day. You've now stopped paying the government or your salaries stopped paying or your tax for the year. And that was very much the attitude I took. I, I just want to pay myself. And that's the great thing about being a solopreneur. The other wonderful thing is much bigger than that because it gives you variation. And it gives you a chance to show all your skills to yourself. Because if you've got no one in the office, you really are just showing things to yourself. You know, that's it, I'm afraid. You can be your own CEO, you know, all that treetop stuff, which we all have to do. If you're not doing that, then your company won't go forward. You can be the chief operation officer. And that, again, it's how are you going to do it? Well, I'm, if I'm a solopreneur. I'm going to be doing it my way. I've written the operations manual. We're doing it my way. It may not be the way you do it, but it's the way I do it. I'll be the chief buyer. Well, that's the whole point of me being in property. I want to do the viewings. I want to go and see the estate agents. I want to be on site. I want to be doing the renovations. Great fun. And of course, the other thing is I'll be the chief marketing officer. So that's the coffee and cake bit again. Fabulous. But every time I say another thing, I'm thinking, why would you want to be anything but a solopreneur? Because your life is so much more interesting than being shoeboxed into one tiny section if you're in corporate world and things. There is a downside, of course, to this whole solopreneur bit. And that's the buck stops with you. You know, there is no one else to blame. You know, if the plans are not turned into reality, they will not work. You've only got yourself to blame if you don't do what you say you want to do. And of course, we all have days and months when things don't go according to plan. The market can really ruin your plan. But if you are a solopreneur, it's up to you to go, things aren't working. Now, do I sit down and work it through and review my own plans with myself? Or do I outsource this and go to somebody who can sit me down and take me through step by step and we can put this company back on the tracks? So it's up to you. Biggest stumbling block that I, because I asked about, this to several people before I recorded this. And bizarrely, some of the most difficult things that 
solopreneurs have found is selling themselves. And that's because most of us who are in property have probably been working for someone else first. We've got our skills elsewhere. And it's really easy to sell somebody else's company because, you know, if it all goes wrong, there's nothing to do with you really, is it? But when you are a solopreneur, you're selling you, you're selling your own efforts. It's all about you. And it is a skill and you have to learn it. And it is sometimes more difficult for others, some than others. So that has been raised to me as one of the biggest downsides of being a solopreneur. But there were some huge wins. And I think they're worth talking about. Being a solopreneur means that you're not nailed down. If the market changes, you can pivot. And if everyone goes, but I thought I thought you were doing that. You go, yeah, I was. But now I'm doing this. It's still in property. It's another side of the coin. But the market won't allow me to do whatever it is you think I only do. So it gives you freedom. And it also means that you are free from having to do all the things that the market suddenly puts upon you, like COVID. I mean, my friends with big companies, they had to do something with their staff. I I just got up every morning and did exactly the same as I'd done the day before, which was wonderful. Loved it. It meant that when I was running a networking, property networking meeting, I wasn't connected to any kind of sales funnel. So people who came to my meeting knew they weren't going to go through the monthly spiel about how they could do this course or that course or whatever. It was just pure property on our terms. And that was fantastic. So as a property solopreneur, I think what I'm saying is that you are not put into a box. You could do what you like. And that is, I can own property in predominantly any form I like. I don't have to just do commercial or just do residential. I can own it in my own name. I can own it in a limited company. I can own it in a partnership. All the ideas are are limitless. And how I own property or deal with it or trade it bears no resemblance to me being the solopreneur. And that is just so refreshing and freeing. It's as profitable as a normal company, sometimes even more so. And you can brand your company however you like. It doesn't have to have anybody more than you to be a proper company. That, again, is absolutely fantastic. Although it does mean occasionally people get slightly confused because you can start off, for instance, having you know, you might be a trader, so you've got your trading company, and then you produce another company, which is your asset holding company. And if people don't understand the differences, they can go, why are you doing that? Well, come and ask me or come and speak to the person, but don't badmouth them elsewhere saying they're doing something odd. Because no, this is what normal companies do. They expand, they change, they evolve. And just because you're a solopreneur doesn't mean to say you won't do exactly the same. Anybody can be a property solopreneur, as long as they understand what they're doing, as in property, because otherwise you won't have a company, and you're prepared to do all the good things as well as take the rap for all the bad things. And as long as you do all that and you keep enjoying it and you keep making money, you are going to be a wildly successful property solopreneur. Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist.